continue with the, the final uh, message in this little three-part fulfilled series, uh, bridging between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then through the rest of our Christmas season, we'll look at the different uh, approaches that the gospel writers take to the Christmas story, to the coming of Jesus. And so as you're familiar by now, I've been using the mosaic as a kind of illustration for what we're doing here. Uh, I try to, with these one Sunday per book of the Bible, and, and now in between, draw the outline of the shape of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then as each of us uh, looks at our Bibles and reads and does these things, we can, we can fit the pieces that we find into that picture. And I was just thinking about that this morning and thinking that, at least for me, and I, I hope for you, I, I know for some of you for sure because you've told me, that this approach has helped you, um, it helps us get into the Old Testament particularly, but also the New Testament in a new and different way, because uh, some of us have been been uh, taught, not wrongly, but but taught the idea that the Bible is a, a handbook for how to live. Uh, but what I'm trying to show you now, though it is that, that it's much more than that, and that it's a it as we continue to build out the picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And see his grandeur, his beauty, his glory uh, from before creation till now. And all the different pieces that are explained to us throughout the scriptures. Uh, we ought to come away with such an overwhelming sense of awe at who he is. As we continue to add pieces and color and, and detail to that picture. That we're like the prophets of old when, when they caught a vision of Jesus and they fell flat on their faces. And just, just what can I do for you God? And uh, instead of a handbook for how to make little individual choices in our lives, it becomes a glorious picture of beauty that, that just overwhelms us, and we become devoted to that. And so that's a, it's not that the others, are, the Bible gives us many good advice on how to live. It's not, it is that, but it's also much more than that. And so that's the picture that I'm trying to uh, point us towards. So three messages, uh, Jesus fulfills the law, Jesus fulfills the prophets, and Jesus fulfills the writings. And we saw how, how Jesus is our high priest. And when we looked at the Day of Atonement, and Hebrews brings that, that together for us, and uh, Jesus fulfills what the priests in the temple did perfectly and completely, so that it's not that it's no longer necessary, but we don't have to do those things those actions on earth because they are being done by our high priest at the true throne of God. And so the, the, Jesus fulfills all of that, not, not in that he just says, oh, can't press the delete button, forget about it. He, he just fills it up with himself and, uh, and meets all of those requirements. And then Jesus, as our prophet, tells us the truth. And he's, he fulfills it in the sense that he is the source of the prophet's knowledge and truth and word. He is the word. But then he also fulfills it in that he, he, he brings that, that balance from the first prophet Moses to the last prophet Jesus and fulfills the goals of the prophetic ministry in his ministry. And so it's no longer necessary. Now, I didn't mention last Sunday, but there is mentioned various places in our New Testaments the gift of prophecy. And I believe that's a real gift, but it's a different thing than the Old Testament prophets because Jesus fulfills that, that role that the Old Testament prophets had. 
And so today we look the third and, and final of these messages, Jesus fulfills the writings. And uh, in this, in this uh, case, I want to refer to Jesus or, or encourage us to understand Jesus as my wise king. Jesus is our king and he is a wise king. And this one is not as direct as the other two, I'll admit. The Bible comes right out and says that Jesus is our faithful high priest that fulfills the priesthood. And the Bible comes right out and gives us that message. Uh, Moses is the first prophet as an intermediary before, between God and people. And Jesus is the last prophet that fulfills that ministry so it's no longer necessary. And that's explicitly stated. But we do have to take one step of logic on this one. So maybe it's not quite as confident, the connection between the, the writings or the wisdom literature and Jesus as king. But I think as we go through this, you'll see it as I do, as being, um, being clearly there. Now, the fact that Jesus is king is not in dispute. In fact, the New Testament describes Jesus as our king more often than as our priest or our prophet. So that's not in dispute. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. Let's just take uh, a few quick examples to get the idea. Uh, John 12. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the, the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. And so here we have the prophecy from the Old Testament and Jesus' fulfillment of that prophecy in the New Testament. And all the people understood when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that he was declaring himself to be king. And they, they just saw that clearly. And then we have uh, another account in Matthew 27. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews, the governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't specifically say it. And, uh, and he accepts the title. Uh, second, in, in 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. For at just the right time, Christ was revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Jesus is revealed to us as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we look forward even beyond our time to Revelation 19, Jesus comes out in all his glory and it says this, On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords, or King over all kings and Lord over all lords. And so, as I said, the fact that Jesus is king is not in dispute. That is, that is clear uh, from Scripture. Now, is there a connection, as I'm trying to suggest, between the wisdom literature or the writings of the Old Testament and this idea of, of Jesus as our king? And here we need to do a step of logic to kind of fit these pieces of the mosaic into place. And I'm going to give you a lesson in logic by means of a game. So if you're at home and there's two of you, you can have a little contest and uh, see who wins. And here I'm just going to ask you to put up your hand when you think you know what it is I'm describing. And we're going to see, uh, see how you do with that. So I'm going to describe something. And as I get more and more detailed into the description, you might think you know what it is I'm describing. So put up your hand if you think you know. So here we go. What is it that I'm thinking of? The thing I'm thinking of is warm to touch. If you touched it, it would not be cold. It would be warm. 
Not hot either, necessarily, but warm, okay? So that eliminates maybe half the things in the world. We're narrowing it down. Anyone guess? The thing I'm thinking of has four legs. It's warm to touch, and it has four legs. Maybe, maybe one hand already? We'll see if you're right. The thing I'm thinking of is warm to touch, has four legs, and comes in, in colors from white to black, brown, and even combinations of those colors. Okay, we're getting narrowed down a little bit more. Let's see what the next one is. It walks on its four toenails. I know technically the veterinarian would say it's a little bit different than that, but that's how we normally think of it. Okay? We can't ask you to shout it out because we're not supposed to shout and stuff in church but these days, but, uh, but not a lot of people have ventured to put their hands up. I don't know. Uh, let, let me give you one more. You should have it at least almost by now. It stands six feet tall or more. So on the, on the previous one, you should have all guessed horse by now, but when I say six feet, you know it's a heavy draft horse. So just by describing the thing, you can tell what I'm thinking about uh, without me actually telling you what it is. So that's a step of logic. Let's try it one more time. What is it? What am I thinking about? You sit on this thing. Okay? There's, you can think of all the different things that you might sit on or sit in, uh, and that'll narrow it down some. The next characteristic is it's most often made of metal. Sometimes other materials, but most often it's made of metal. Narrow it down a little bit. It's used for transportation. Any hands yet? Okay, I'll give you another detail. It has two wheels. Lots of hands going up. But see, there's still a critical piece that you need. You're probably at about 50-50 now, right? Is it human-powered or is it powered by a gasoline engine? Critical piece, right? I'm going with human-powered today. I'm thinking about a bicycle. So you, you all get that. So what I want to talk about now is, in God's mind, what is that critical characteristic of a good king? Because if we know what God would describe as that critical final characteristic, there's many characteristics of kings, but what is a good king in God's mind, then we can see if there's a connection between Jesus and this idea of wisdom and kings. So I'm going to read you a story. And again, this is one of those, those pieces from the Old Testament that you might have read and thought, well, that's an interesting story. But now I'm showing you how to take that piece and fit it into your picture of Jesus Christ. And so here we go. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, You, show, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. 
Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you have asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, where where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all his officials to a great banquet. So we see very clearly that in God's eyes, the most important characteristic for leadership or for being a king is wisdom. We also see why. Because the result of wisdom, according to the description here, is that a wise king will rule with justice and mercy. An unwise king will rule with selfishness and pride. But a wise king will rule with justice and mercy. And so we see that connection uh, very clearly displayed here. And then when we take this understanding and apply it to the Gospels, we see very quickly, very early in the story, That Jesus fits the description. What am I describing with these characteristics of Jesus? So we can go to his early life. We can go to the boy Jesus when his family visited Jerusalem. And they they left town with their clan and realized Jesus wasn't in the group. And they go back, search for him. And they find him in the most unexpected of places. In the temple with the scholars and the teachers of the law. And this is what is said. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. As an eight-year-old boy, he was already noted by the most intelligent scholars of the land as amazing in his wisdom, in his understanding. When we have the description of Jesus growing up, we wish we had stories of, 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 of whether or not he healed little birds that flew into the windows or, or, or whether he ever beat up his, the bully at school. Or We wish we had all those stories to understand how he grew up. But this is what we have. And only one characteristic of all the characteristics that could be mentioned is mentioned. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. We know he grew physically because he was a baby and later on he was a grown man. So growing in stature, we know. But he grew in wisdom. This is the one thing that God points out in his word. He grew in wisdom. Does he fit the description? Matthew 13, verse 54. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown, When he taught there in the synagogues, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do these miracles? So here we have two characteristics, wisdom and power, but wisdom is clearly what impressed the people uh, as he began to teach. And then Mark 6, 2, 
The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogues, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And so that's just a a very small example of the verses that could be read that describe Jesus as being wise, as as one of his primary characteristics. And not only where it actually says he's wise, but we can read all the stories, and you read the parables, and you think, what wisdom is there? We can, we can meditate on those parables for, for a lifetime and still gain more out of them than we did the first time. And we look at how he interacted with, with a prostitute or a, or a woman at the well, a, the lowest of society, and we think how wisely he handled that conversation. And we can think of how he answered the questions of Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, and, we think, and, and even they became afraid to ask him any more questions because his wisdom outstretched them by far. And so there's no dispute that Jesus was wise. And there's also a clear indication from, from the Old Testament that, that, Jesus, that, that God values wisdom in a king above all other characteristics. So we can put them together and we can say, what is being described here in the stories about Jesus? What is being described is the characteristics of the kind of person that God would put as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. A wise king. As we look at these three, and we look at ourselves, we can maybe think about it this way. In fulfilling the law as our priest, Jesus kind of uh, takes care of the religious aspect of life. What I mean by that is is our relationship with God, the spiritual side. He takes care of that. Uh, it's, It's done. It's finished. We can just put our trust in him for for that aspect. And then what the prophets do is they tell us how to live in between heaven and earth. They tell us how to live in response to God. And so that becomes then um, maybe our ethical side of life. Jesus leads us and fills all that we need in order to live religiously in relation to God and ethically in terms of how we take that relationship with God into real life. And then when we get to the writings of the Old Testament, God is hardly mentioned. They tell, except for in the Psalms, where God is constantly mentioned, but, but in the Proverbs and in Job and in Ecclesiastes, God is hardly mentioned. But what, what, we're, what we're gaining from those writings is not about religion. It's not about you know, ethics so much. It's about how do you practically get along in this world, the physicality of it, the relationships of it. And so that would be in the writings, uh, Jesus fulfills uh, more the cultural or political side of life. How do you, how do you live in the real world? Uh, and so it, it's, it's fully rounded. He is our priest, he is our prophet, and he is our king. And so that could be like body, soul, and spirit. And uh, he fulfills, he answers what we need in all of those areas where we have concerns. One of the things that comes to mind as we think through these issues, uh, just a minute, i got to go to my next slide. Where am I going? Okay, yeah. Um, I, did, I did this thing uh, preparing this sermon. I was on my computer looking at different commentaries, and I copied and pasted this quote out, and sorry, I can't reference the commentary. I couldn't find it afterwards. I usually reference when I quote from someone else, uh, but I wanted to read this anyways. Jesus fulfills the Psalms and Proverbs. How does he do that? 
by embodying the figure of the king we meet in the Psalms and the wise man we see in the Proverbs. In sum, Jesus fulfills the wisdom of the law and the prophets. And uh, that's, that's, I think, um, I hope obvious to us by now. When we come to Christmas, Sheila already read from Isaiah 9. I want to read a few more verses than she did. Um, it's, it's such a common Christmas theme or, or quotation. Uh, and I think it, it just ties in with what we're talking about here. It ties Christmas together with this, this message of Jesus as our King. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. We see the wisdom there and the government, the kingship there. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. So there again we see the, the justice and fairness, which is the fruit of wisdom in, in, in leadership. Just to fill that, that concept up a little bit more, let's read it in another translation. just adds a little more nuance to what's being said. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. And now for the new translation. I'll go to the next slide. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll be the kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always. The zeal of God of the angel armies will do all of this. So that's the prediction from the prophets of what Jesus would be, the kind of king he would be. And we see that that. Wisdom is, is the primary characteristic. People who knew Jesus, if you asked them what's he like, they would have all said wise. Wiser than anyone else we've ever seen. And that qualifies him to be the king. He is the king, but he also has the qualities uh, that, that make him the king. And so we ask the question, as we have the previous two Sundays, in light of this truth, Jesus is my wise king, how should I live? How does that impact me? What difference does it make? And again, like last Sunday, I could go on for a while about that, but I think we can just turn to scriptures because they make it very clear for us, the impact, the difference this ought to make in our lives. And to do that today, though we could go to many different places, I'm going to go to Psalm chapter 20. Psalm chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. In times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. May the name of the God of Jacob keep you safe from all harm. May he send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you from Jerusalem. May he remember all your gifts and look favorably on your burnt offerings. 
says interlude there. Uh, some of your translations say uh, a Hebrew word, uh, shila or something like that. And it just means to pause and ponder. What is being described here? Well, it's describing a king who we call to for help. And then we go on. May he grant your heart's desire and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. Brings to mind Palm Sunday, doesn't it? May the Lord answer all your prayers. Now I know that the Lord rescues his anointed king. He will answer him from his holy heaven and rescue him by his great power. Some nations boast in their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. Give victory to our king, O Lord. Answer our cry for help. We're very familiar with that phrase. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So let me just paraphrase that verse for you. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe you don't trust in chariots and horses. I doubt many of you do, but, but we can paraphrase that into the year 2020. Some trust in tanks and bombs, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in celebrities and cultural heroes, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in drugs and alcohol, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in scientists, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in distractions and absent-mindedness, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in progressive politics, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in a healthy lifestyle, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in meditation and spiritual practices, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in conservative politics, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in personal potential, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in education and human philosophy, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Because he is our wise and only king. Sheila? That makes us think, what do we trust in? What gets our attention, our affections, our ambitions? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words spoken this morning. We thank you that you, that Jesus is the King of Kings. He is our priest and prophet and king. And help us this week to be thinking about what we trust in and help our thoughts 
our actions to be more tuned to, to you in the wisdom that we can find in you when we ask. We thank you for your great care for us. We thank you for our position to the Father because of your Son. We thank you for your, your help and your concern for us. In Jesus' name, amen.